Hi, I'm Adam Miller. And I'm Sarah Sweet. And welcome to Food on the Radio. Hi, Sarah. How you doing? Hey, Adam. Welcome to my home. I'm I'm happy to be sitting on your couch, all cozy. It's been a while. We've we've been a little bit busy in this horrible winter time. <laughs> so I think because we have had some kitchen mayhem going on, I'm going to ask you what you cooked this week because our cooking was hampered by a, a refreshment refrigeration crisis and we had to keep all our food in a cooler on the front porch for a number of days oh well that sucks we can talk more about it in a minute but (laughs) you tell me what you made this week and then i'll tell you about the nightmare of buying a new refrigerator okay i i think it was maybe a month ago Mm -hmm. when we talked about on the show uh i had been given a gift by a relative which was uh the book dumpling daughter by nadja Liu Spellman and Sally Ling. Mm-hmm. That's a mother and daughter, actually. And uh, Dumpling Daughter has several, I think, branches. They do. Um, uh, in the area, in the Boston area. Uh-huh. Anyway, so I got this cookbook. It looked really cool. What was really nice about it is the way the cookbook is set up. It's first thing it tells you is kind of all of the basic pantry items and the sort of base sauces and flavors that make up sort of the essence of I'll say Chinese-American food more than than Chinese food um, because it's very much built on the food that they served in their restaurant. Okay. So I was like, oh, wow, there's a lot of things you need to order. And I I don't like to sit there and try to figure out how to order them all, you know, online. (laughs) And I like to support local businesses. So for a long time, I didn't do anything with a cookbook. And then I said, (laughs) I'm going to stop in Brewster and go to the cook shop. Yes. Yes. And um, I love it. I've been there once before. Um, and bought a variety of things. But this was really cool because I had this list of items to make several dishes. And you could sort of get a kind of a checklist of the things that you want to enhance your pantry with if you're going to cook these types of foods. Uh-huh. And they had absolutely every one of them. It was amazing. It's such a great store. I'm so glad you went there. Yeah, and it was super helpful. The guy was like, I was like, oh, do you have do you have the Shaoxing, you know, um, Chinese rice wine or whatever? And he goes... Oh, yeah, but it's way up on that top shelf. Like, I never would have found it. Right, right. Uh, you know, and oyster sauce and hoisin sauce and, uh, you know, the dried Szechuan chili peppers mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, that the the uh, the cook shop does not have any unused space inside it. No, it is <laughs> densely packed. Uh, it's so much fun. Uh, I loved going there. So I took all the stuff back and then decided to make three things. And I made a, a lamb with scallions okay. because I, once again, we stopped at Ring Brothers in, um, I guess, Dennis. Yep. And and then I made, and I've always loved like the Chinese eggplant dishes. Oh, yeah. You know, the sort of sweet and sourish eggplant. And then I made Kung Pao chicken. <laughs> um, and, and it was interesting because I love the fact that it changed to a certain amount. I make a lot of stir fries and I always tend to make it with a mixture of like oh, the usual like soy sauce and maybe some ginger uh, uh, vinegar if I want it sweet maybe some sugar etc mm-hmm. uh, sesame oil that sort of thing right so I was really glad to be like adding to the plate to to that however I can I, I do have some criticisms of it as well um, uh, one of the things it uses a lot more oil than I would like the cookbook use. on a whole or a cookbook on a recipes? whole calls for a lot of frying of things Ooh, yeah. in 
it usually it says two or three tablespoons of of vegetable oil to mm-hmm. be fried at, at a hot rate. And I understand having been in China and Taiwan and places, it's true they do. But they, that's partly they have woks that are like seven hundred degrees, you know. Um, right. So that's part of it, and it's really flash fried. Having said that, in general, they, the kung pao chicken. I learned one thing is that I have reached an age in which I can't actually or nor enjoy eating the actual uh, Chinese uh, um, Sichuan peppers. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> They're just they just pack too much of a wallop for me. <laughs> um, but other than that, that was delicious. If I were to make the eggplant again, because in that case it's almost deep fried, it calls for a quarter cup of vegetable oil, um, is I have in the in the past when I've made like say caponata or some other eggplant dish mm-hmm. where I've actually just sprint, drizzled it with oil and roasted it. Right. You could totally do that. And I don't think it, if then if you did all of the other ingredient that are that are you know, that are a part of the recipe, um, it would still have the same flavor. It would be delicious, but I don't. It just it was just too greasy for me. Yeah, yeah you know. But I, I that was the only thing that I would ad- adapt to it. Uh, other than that, so that was really fun. That's most of what I made last week. Except I also have. I know we talk about seafood in the past and what things you and I like and don't like. I'm growing to like scallops more, and that's what I was oh. going to say. Was that that Natalie asked me, "Oh, could you make uh, some seared scallops?" I bought some scallops. I made made my own rub sort of which is a you know like sort of a cajun kind of mm-hmm. red, you know red powder rub i made that of course what i did to make it that almost nobody would not want to eat it is i i also <laughs> i i i also i i uh, cooked up some pancetta Mm-hmm. Instead of wrapping it in bacon, right. I just I just I cooked the pancetta till it was super crunchy. Okay. Then you know took it out of the pan and then seared it and then just sprinkled the pancetta on the. Oh, so the, like deconstructed scallops yeah. wrapped in bacon. And it, it is extremely popular because basically everybody likes to eat bacon. I mean, if you eat meat, I mean that is. Um, so, but I must say, I'm growing to enjoy eating the scallop more than I used to. Why? Why may I? Might I ask why you? What is it about the scallop that made you not a fan i don't know it's i don't mind things that are mushy in a way it has it's it has a weird sweet soft boring flavor to me um but i'm getting to like it more i must say and and you know we're so lucky on the outer cape that we can get really good fresh scallops Mm -hmm. they're not cheap but you know, you get what you pay for. <laughs> right. And and you don't, you know, you, you don't need to eat a billion of them. So I think that enhances it is there really is a difference between a really delicious, fresh, ju- cooked um, almost within the day that it was harvested. I, I, that probably goes for everything. <laughs> well, yeah, of, of course it does. Of, um, of course I didn't does. eat a scallop until I was 28. <laughs> um, I was largely grossed out by most every type of seafood that there is and i attribute this to growing up within an olfactory strike from Sealand, which was in brewster and had the dolphins there was a dolphin named stormy who could put out a little fire there was a camel um various other There's a camel an aquatic camel <laughs> uh, he was just he was just there i think they must have been like sure we'll take him um but you could and seals tons of seals and you could really smell sea land all the time at my house and i think also growing up on the cape if you're not already somehow loving seafood it's just always everywhere and everything smells like fried fish 
and quahogs were confusing. So I basically, <laughs> I didn't, and oysters, oh my gosh, so gross to me as a kid, even though people were slurping them down right and left wherever I went. Um, I didn't eat any of this until I was nearly 30. But my first scallop that I ever had was um, on Nova Scotia, which is crazy, but it was delicious. I, and ever, I was like, how did I never eat these? I think they're, I think scallops are so good. I don't find them boring. They're like buttery. If they're cooked, if they're too tough, that's where then yeah. they taste like erasers. But when people who are sort of new to the Cape and they want to make scallops, they're often disappointed at how their homemade scallops taste because they cooked them for like 10 minutes. Right, you know? right. And, and I always say, you know, you literally, when you think they look like they might be hot, <laughs> then they're done. They're done. Uh, that re, you know, because you actually, I've I've had you know sushi scallop, and, mm -hmm. and you can totally have scallop as sushi sashimi type thing. Right. And so you can't really, I mean, obviously, if they're cold, then they're not cooked. But <laughs> but I mean, but you can almost not undercook them. Right. But you can definitely overcook. Yeah, an overcooked scallop is a bad surprise. What I also could say is, if you want a, if you want a good sear, what I've found. It's not as easy as you think because you don't want it to just sort of sit there forever. You do need a really hot pan. You need to make sure that the, the oil is really shimmering. Mm -hmm. You need very little oil if you want it to sear right. because otherwise it won't because it won't get dark enough. Right. Is make sure you turn your fan on because if you also if you want it to really sear, it's going to smoke a little bit. Basically, nothing's better than a cast iron skillet for it. That's the other thing I'd say about it. Uh, you know, well, I mean, anything really works, but um, that to me, that's that's proven. I've used a lot of different pans, right. and the cast iron seems to work the best. We do, even in the winter, um, we do them on the grill. Um, oh, yeah, that would work, for sure. Because that can get up to about 500 degrees, right. and then you just... It's more a summertime meal, but that's one of our favorites, is to grill, cut a head of romaine lettuce in half. And put that face down on the grill. You grill yep, yep. the head of lettuce and then you grill the scallops. Put the scallops on the lettuce. Yep. Little lemon pepper. It's fantastic. I mean, the good thing about something like scallops is if you're if you're doing them on the grill, just remember it's the last thing you're gonna cook. Right. Because <laughs> it takes one second. Because you can do everything and then and then especially on a grill, it's gonna cook really quick. Friendlies. You know, I worked at the Friendlies at yeah. the Orleans Rotary. They had I'm just trying to remember if they had scallops. I don't think so, but they had that clam boat that was like the most popular thing in the entire place <laughs> in the summertime anyway, is the clam boat at Friendly's. But I mean, they served it year round, but it was like, well, they, they were not fresh from anywhere. I'll tell you, they came frozen, right? <laughs> boxes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, for many people... Their introduction to fried clams was Howard Johnson's, which doesn't exist anymore. Well, there was the Hojo's in Orleans, right. which has been, I think it was then Adam's Rib, and now it might be the Lost Dog. It's right by the Double Dragon Inn. Yep. But when yep. I was a kid, that was the place to go on special, special occasions. <laughs> yes, and I and I, I'm I, even though I'm from Rhode Island and we grew up having tons of seafood, it's very possible the first time I had fried clams was <laughs> was at Howard Johnson's, which. Uh, I, I'm sure some people who've seen the biography, uh, you know, the, the documentary about Jacques Pepin uh -huh. might know this. Some don't. Is that for a period of time, Jacques Pepin was the culinary advisor for Howard Johnson. This is the best fact I've learned all day <laughs> or all year. Amazing. Uh, yeah. And a lot of people derided him for doing it. He said, well, I just made their menu better. And, yeah. I mean, and... why wouldn't you want Hojo's to have the best information possible? <laughs> 
when making their menu. <laughs> The home of good, good food is Howard Johnson's. Now have Howard Johnson's good, good food at home. Okay, well, that's what I made last week, and you had a refrigerator die on you. Well, let's just say this. We had a refrigerator that was making a crazy sound, and we've had this refrigerator for quite some time. So my wonderful husband, for my birthday, decided to just get us a new fridge under the guise of a birthday present, but he went ahead and picked it out and had it delivered. <laughs> and because our poor dog is so afraid of sounds, I was upstairs with him when the refrigerator was delivered. Now I should say all of our appliances are black. No choice of ours, it's what the house came with. So he ordered a fridge that was described as matte black. <laughs> and you could all listeners out there, you can imagine in your mind that matte black, while it may be matte, is black. <laughs> so I came, down, I, I came downstairs in the refrigerator that was in our refrigerator. They took our old one away. It's gone. The refrigerator in its spot, which is made by General Electric, its cafe line, beware, um, is a graphite. Gray. Gray. It's gray. <laughs> it is gray. And it's now installed next to our very black wall ovens, which I have since found they don't really make anymore. So we're going to have a lot of fun when those die. And it had these giant, enormous silver handles on the outside, like the kind, like almost banisters that you would put in a shower for an elderly <laughs> relative. And which stuck out, like you couldn't, you had to walk by the fridge, like like you didn't like it at all. So <laughs> evade it. Yes. And, and I was just like, wait, are they gone? Did they take our fridge? And he's like, yeah, they're gone. I'm like, this isn't black. So Lowe's, which is sadly where we had to buy this from, um, sent us through the looking glass to try to get this return. And this is not, I don't know if you noticed, it's still in the fr if, in the kitchen. The We have two refrigerators now. I, 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 I walked through quickly. <laughs> I will tell all of our listeners that I will, um, I'm now going to take a look. Go take a look. I don't know who their customer service manager or people are, but they somehow could not facilitate the bringing of the new refrigerator with the taking of the old new one. Yeah, it's enormous. And um, it's not and it's black. graphite gray. <laughs> it is so gray. So then what we decided, and then the story will end, is that if we're going to have a fridge we don't like, we'd rather not pay very much for it. Right. <laughs> and then we're going to wrap it. You know how buses or cars, cars. can be wrapped like a, you know, at NASCAR or whatever, like an ad? You can pay $150 and get your fridge wrapped. Okay. So now this fridge, the one that we're using, is only $1,000, which is still expensive. Don't get me wrong. But for $150 more, we're going to either wrap it black <laughs> or you can do some kind of crazy design. Buyer beware, matte black, not so much. But I'll tell you how the wrapping goes. Strangely, I found through Etsy this woman in Ukraine who does fridge wrapping. She seems great. So we're about to embark on an international frid fridge wrapping extravaganza. This sounds really interesting. To be continued. <laughs> okay. So if you're ever interested in changing the color of your fridge, there is a method other than buying a new refrigerator too. Right. And if the color was the problem, we, you know, ours was making a bad sound, but they don't make a black refrigerator anymore. It's very unpopular. Everybody wants stainless. Stainless, stainless has become the dominant, uh, 
you know me i i would love something that was like pink or light blue i'm I like you can I, get I, it I, I miss those i miss those old like the 50s col- the sort of yeah fabulous 50s colors you, you can actually we found another place where you can get a fridge wrap to make your fridge look like an old fridge so the wrap on the front of it it, it kind of has a rounded effect and it has like you know that sort of like silver chevron like something that would be on a car is on there and the old like frigidaire and script people get incredible oh i love this idea crazy stuff you can get the whole entire like flags some people have their fridges wrapped like the tardis on doctor who oh yeah um i just thought of this in the morning because we were like maybe gonna go buy we found a black fridge that's like out of the box somewhere in new haven and we're gonna rent a truck to go get it and i said wait I'm sure we thought we would paint it the same as our cabinets. We learned how to paint a refrigerator, and it seems like a big process. And I woke up the other day, and I said, well, I wonder if you could get it wrapped. Is that a thing? Yes, it's a thing. There's all kinds of people all over the internet. So you should post some of this information. If you want to look, take a look at Instagram at Food on the Radio or on our Facebook page, which is Food on the Radio. We'll post pictures of wrapping info for refrigerators. You're listening to Food on the Radio on WOMR 92.1 FM in Provincetown, WFMR 91.3 FM in Orleans. The voice, the spirit of Cape Cod. You can also find us at WOMR.org. Hey, Adam, I know you're not like the biggest email checker, but did you get that article I sent you last week? I did, and I loved it, and I was really interested. Sarah sent, sent me an email with a, with a link to a, a, an article from Reuters, and it was about the, this archaeological discovery. Of, it was a shipwreck from 1495, and it was for, was it the King of Denmark? Hmm. with some king um and anyway and it included spices that because it's in the north atlantic and there's such a low oxygen content and it's cold had preserved all this organic material including spices and they even show a picture of a jar that contains saffron right right it's actually the wreck of the Gribsund, owned by king hans of denmark and norway right right um and it's been a shipwreck it's been gone since 1495 when they it is thought to have caught fire and sank yeah and it's not unusual that it would be in a king's sort of ship because things like saffron and cloves which they which they also found are were extreme they were worth their weight in gold if not more they were incredibly valuable i mean saffron even today is the most expensive spice you can buy who can afford it not Um, me but the thing that's crazy is to me too is there are things like pepper and salt that were actually also very valuable at, right. at other times. And we've, we've taken for granted the things that, that uh, um, used to have really high value. And we've mentioned this before about who was the first person who said, I spilled some yeast in that flour and now the bread is nice and puffy and fluffy. <laughs> you know, that everything had to go from accident to a part of triumph. 
Yeah, and then to creating food. And some of them, I'm just wondering, there are so many stages before you get to the thing that we use. Like, for instance, who said, if I take this orchid and then I take this tiny little piece of an orchid and I dry it out, I'm going to get a spice that's going to be really valuable. You know, it's, 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 and then, but then there are even other complicated things. Like, we don't realize coffee doesn't just come as coffee. I mean, I think we do realize that. But I always thought, oh, it's a coffee bean. You take the bean off the thing. And but like so just... much has to happen before. That's what I mean right. is that is that at some point, was it in partial stages? At first, they just said, take this bean and boil it and let's see what the water tastes like. And then they said, how about if we peel it? And then how about if we roast it? Or is it like <laughs> accidentally I dropped it in the volcano and then it came out? I mean, was... I really wish people had written better stuff down <laughs> yeah. so we could know, but we don't know. But what I think is crazy about this article, too, is that... So King Hans was at a meeting in Sweden, but he had to sail it. He had to go in a ship to it. Right. And while he was at his meeting, his ship caught on fire and sank, which seems suspicious to me, but <laughs> I do listen to a lot of true crime. But imagine that you had to, when you had a meeting somewhere. You had to sail. You had to bring your saffron. And you had to take and, your, well, your fancy stuff because you're going to show it off. Right. And it might have been gifts as well because it was often right. like, you know, given as gifts. And, and that even goes, you know, to the Bible, like, you know, frankincense and myrrh. I mean, like these hey, are like, hey, hey. you know, like Christmas is over. Yeah, Christmas is over. So, but, you know, there is another interesting fact about this too, which is, um, you know, I'm I'm somebody who went to school in old age and I was a history major and I had to do a report one time mm -hmm. and it was based on the research into the discovery of piles of fish waste, of food waste. I'm At making least, a face, you guys. I'm making, making a, face. a face. Wait, tell us again what you're talking about. So if you had a village <laughs> right. anywhere in the world in sort of pre- you know, the, near the water. Yeah. Or, or, or any, no, not even that would be for fish, but for anything. Oh, you said fish waste. Right. In this case, this was fish okay. waste. So you had garbage bins or okay, you just okay. had garbage piles gotcha. and people and that food waste management, food waste management, which was in many cases, it would be buried or it would be just in a pile far enough away. Put it in the hole. Put it in a hole or whatever it is. Um, but the fascinating thing is that that forensic archaeology now allows people to do analysis of foods, uh -huh. of ancient foods, because you can just do the sort of waste. And one of the things that's interesting about it is it actually equalizes what what we learn about what everyday people ate by and tells us more information about society, not just about the upper class or the elites or the power elites because so much of archaeology was built on things that lasted which were made of stone or which were right. painted or which were frescoes and they were all things that were by having the ability to sort of look in waste dumps not only food but you know uh you know the leavings of animals okay you okay you know you can find out a lot about how <laughs> so people what did you lived. find out people always assumed that everybody was very separate until sort of post-Renaissance in terms of trade mm -hmm. and that it wasn't really true. And, and we find out that more and more, even with it, with when people find Viking hordes and that sort of thing, but even with the fish, is that there was a huge trade in dried cod So also okay. that just went back and forth between the English Channel and that people were constantly just bringing each other and selling fish that didn't come from where they were mm. because you could find in a, in a garbage pile you know, you could find, oh, this is fish that didn't swim around here. Right. So they must have bought and sold it. For, and there must have been 
trade uh, of people bringing it around. And, it w and people were, were trading in this much earlier and a much more complex uh, sort of exchange of, of, of civilizations than people realize in communities. And the idea that everybody was sort of in the, what we call the dark ages, like in the dark, is just made up by us because it sounds better to think that we're more complicated than people in the past. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not. They were, it, was just, it just shows how much more lively life was. Well, as far as King Hans and his saffron and his sunken ship, I get it because there is a bottle of hot sauce in my car right now. <laughs> and, and speaking of hot sauce, you gave me a gift. So you gave me something called Yuzu Kosho. Kosho. And it is a condiment, I'm assuming. We have one too. It's pretty salty, but I know that you were getting into your your dumpling phase, right? So that you might. Oh, it looks. It's like a paste. It, it, yeah, it, it it almost looks like it's some sort of holistic uh, remedy. I am now taking a tiny piece of this and tasting it. I would definitely be using this in small, small quantities. Small yeah. quantities, or yeah. you could like put it in something like it needs to be dispersed. It needs to be dispersed, sort of like the way you would distribute like miso or something. In, yeah, in a soup or, or wasabi, like that, or wasabi, or that sort of thing. It's an intense. It's more like the pith. It's got that. Yeah. Like that real sort of sour, salt-like flavor of the rind of the citrus. Right. Right. So for those of you, I mean, not everybody may know, yuzu is an Asian citrus fruit and i think now you can get it in other places besides asia but it's predominantly japanese and um it's a little more of a savory yeah uh citrus than you might think so on the local scoop i was driving by the other day in orleans and there was uh, I was going to get some fish at the Orleans Fish Store, and then I was checking out the bird, the bird feed, the bird, bird watchers general the bird, store, the bird watchers general store over there in Orleans. <laughs> get it and then, right. And then I was looking over where there used to be an ice cream store. Uh, you know the uh, what was it? Uh, the local scoop. Uh huh. It's not the local scoop. And you said you've got a local scoop. <laughs> and and the scoop is that it's going to be Las Cheetas Restaurant, a new bar and taco spot. And I'm really excited about it because who doesn't want to try a new place to have tacos and beer? Yeah. I mean, do they have beer? Well, it says cocktails. All right. That sounds good. Yeah. I think, what did they open in January? They're getting a little bit of press and it looks cool. Like when I was a kid, pretty much over there, it was Papa Gino's, was Mr. Chips. There was like a fish market and then there was the Friendlies and DQ. Which is now the Knack. But oh, yes, the Knack, which has a second place now somewhere near Hyannis or something. But it's cool to add to the um, to the selection in that little yeah. area. Because you can get stuck there in the summertime <laughs> yeah. for hours and hours. So you might as well just pull over and have a taco. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Did you have – has El Guapo's been around for – Not when I was a kid, no. Oh, but okay. we are fans. I must say the canteen has nice tacos in P-Town. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, they have, have good tacos. everything. Yeah, they have good everything. They really do good stuff. Um, so that's a little bit of local scoop there. We'll be looking forward to – a summer with maybe some more tacos in there in our future. Yeah, they even have mushroom tacos that have tomato and pumpkin puree. And their pork belly tacos are jazzed up with ancho chili and guava glaze. Do you know the difference between a Western and a Denver omelet? One has cheese. I don't know. You know what? I think it's actually the same. 
I think there are two different regional references to the same omelet, which is like ham, onion, and green pepper. And I think some people call it the Denver omelet, and some people call it a Western omelet. Okay. Which makes sense unless you are in California, because then that would be an Eastern omelet. <laughs> but I used to be a short order cook at an omelet, like a breakfast place, and people were always like, a Denver omelet, no, a Western omelet. And I was like, ah, what's the difference? What do I do? What do I do? Some people said the difference was green pepper in one, but no green pepper in the other. But I think they're the same omelet. <laughs> you know, one other funny thing about omelets was I remember um, re over the last few years, you know, whether it's YouTube or PBS on their website, you can watch the original Julia Child shows. Oh, yeah. And one of the very first Julia Child shows she did was making an omelet. And the thing that's so fun about that is the idea that when she's making this omelet, it's when her show was called The French Chef. And right. People were just learning. It was putting French food into the households all over America. And what was really interesting about it is that one, that the, that an omelet was at that time somewhat exotic. <laughs> <laughs> right. But but then she cooks, she proceeds to cook the omelet. And I still, to this day, cannot make an omelet the way she makes it. It's it's. Finesse and patience. Because she just pulls the pan back mm -hmm. until the egg rolls over the filling. And I have never been able to do it. You need a wicked, wicked good hot pan. Right. I definitely cheat and use a rubber spatula. But listeners, if you have any omelet stories or you have a fierce opinion about what's a Denver or a Western omelet, send us an email at foodontheradio at gmail.com. Right. We'd love to read something from listener mail. Well, Sarah, this has been probably a lot of fun. What do you think? Probably. Yes, it probably has been. <laughs> anyway, but we are out of time. Bye, Sarah. Bye, Adam. Take a seat in this 